0: Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Providence Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac, Associate Advisor at Providence. Join with me today is Christopher Tan, CEO and founder of Providence. Oh sorry, CEO, founder and co-host of this podcast as well. Hi Chris. Hello. Yeah, so uh, I added one more to your title.
1: I was waiting for you to say we have a very special guest because you say that all the time. So the <laughs> guess like, I, I mean, I guess... I'm not very special at all. Uh,
0: I mean, I wouldn't say that. It's just because you, are, you, are, you have been on this on this podcast so for, many times. Yeah, so many times and you're also the co-host. Like. Okay. So today's episode will be end of life mm. planning. Mm. So before we begin, could you uh, explain what uh, end of life planning encompasses?
1: Okay. It's a very morbid subject. So we got to speak like it's very morbid.
0: Oh, so we have to be more solemn. Okay. Like. I'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> okay. So end of life. I mean, I think there are different agencies that define end-of-life differently. Some people, I mean, they define end-of-life as all the planning that has got to do with death, lah, right? So right. it'll be like mental capacity planning, advanced care planning, uh, advanced medical directive, um, and then it, uh, some people include estate planning, writing a will, you know, uh, trust planning, and even funeral planning as part of uh, end-of-life. Um, but at Provident, uh, I think we define it uh, just slightly differently. So there are three parts la, to this whole, okay, I won't call it end of life. There are three parts to this whole planning concerning our bad health and also concerning uh, about death. So the first part is really end of life, right? And in that regard, end of life, we are talking about mental capacity planning, uh, which we use the instrument, the lasting power attorney. Okay. And then the second area is advanced care uh, planning. And then the third area is Advanced medical directive, which is uh, an, a, a, an instrument uh, that is used as well when a person uh, is defined as terminally ill. So these three areas of planning we call end of life here at Provident, right? And then the second part of planning, which is nearer death now, is estate planning uh, as well as uh, legacy planning, right? Estate planning is really about planning um, one's assets. Upon a person's demise, so it's about uh, estate creation, it's about estate preservation, and it's about estate distribution. And you can use various instruments such as a will uh, and a trust for distribution. And then there's a third part that we don't really talk a lot about, which is what happened after that. right? right. And that would include estate administration, trust administration. So at Provident, I mean, we look at it quite separately. And when we work with our clients, we are involved in these three areas of planning.
0: Right, so how Provident defines it uh, end of life planning, we just segregate it out. So it's just mainly uh, ACP, Advanced Care Planning, Mm. Lasting Power of Attorney, LPA. An advanced medical directive.
1: La. Yeah. So I mean in the layman term, the way we separate it is, you know, the first area is when you're about to die. The second area is when you're dead. And then the third area is what happened after the, the death. La. Yeah, I mean I'm trying to make light of the topic because like I say this is quite morbid. Right. But uh, having said so, it's a very it, these are the three important areas to plan.
0: Right. So let's start with um advanced medical directive, mm-hmm. AMD. So modern medical technology allows us to use extraordinary measures Mm. to prolong life in the final stage of a terminal illness. However, it typically typically can't stop the final outcome. Mm. So as such, a decision has to be made whether to continue with the futile medical intervention. Mm. So Chris, could you explain... Um, more in-depth of what AMD is Mm. and how does AMD come into play for this scenario? Yeah,
1: I mean, Isaac, like you said, right, I mean, we will all die one day. We can't really control when we're going to die most times. Uh, Sometimes people can, unfortunately. I mean, they commit suicide but for most of us, uh, we cannot control when we're going to die but we can at least try and mitigate as much as possible the downside of how we will pass away, right? So when a person is terminally ill and unconscious, the keyword here also one of the keywords is unconscious, right? Because one can be terminally ill, and usually terminally ill means that a person is likely going to die in the next twelve months, and perhaps the medical profession will define even more uh, in a more granular way. But it simply means a person is going to die very soon. Right. And a person is unconscious and is unable to make decisions and speak for himself. By making an AMD, what you are telling the medical team is that you do not want any life support. Yeah. you rather let it, you, know, uh, you rather go naturally. Yeah. So if you do an AMD, that's what you are communicating to the medical team. Now, of course, like I say, how you define terminally ill, um, I mean, I say it so simply, like, you know, it's quite eminent that a person is going to pass away soon, like 12 months and all that. But I know the doctors, they have a, a stricter definition. I also know that for the medical team to put down, you know, on a document that a person is terminally ill, it is a process, right? They need a team of three doctors, the first doctor uh, would be the hospital doctor attending to you, and then two other doctors must be a specialist, and the three of them must uh, assess the situation and say, okay, this patient is terminally ill uh, before the AMD can take effect. And if the three doctors cannot confirm that for whatever reason, uh, there, may be, there may be a need to go into a second panel. So in Singapore, it's actually quite strict mm. before the medical team will say that a person is terminally ill.
0: Right. So they cannot just, uh, you know, if let's say they diagnose you with a terminal illness, it's Mm. something that has gone through many uh, levels of screening and checks.
1: Yeah, it's just not so simple to say that a person is terminally ill and then the AMD has to be executed. Remember, the AMD is about removing all life support. It's quite a serious decision, Right. right? I mean, you don't want to pull away life support. When, when there's a, a chance, yeah. When when a, when a yeah. chance when there's a chance that a person may recover, right? Yeah. So, uh, for us as a layman, of course we are not doctors. Uh, we may understand it uh, not as deeply, but for the medical profession, they actually have a very stringent process before they would the doctors would sign on a paper and say yes, this uh, patient unfortunately is terminally ill, and then they look at whether this person will have an AMD. And then the AMD is executed,
0: right? So without an AMD, they will just keep uh, you on life support all the way. And you know, as I mean, as doctors, they will always try to, or rather, they are can I say obligated to keep you alive as long as possible? I
1: think without the AMD, the family has to say right. So the doctors will of course tell the family that you know this is a situation of the patient. You know, we can put him on life support. And I know of many families who uh, who has done so. I've got a friend. Uh, the father suddenly had a stroke and then went to coma and was on life support for many months. So the family actually has to say to say, okay, life support, right? Uh, but clearly the doctor has said that uh, there is very little chance of the father recovering. But mm. the family continued to put them on life support and the medical bills went up sky high. Oh. Uh, from what I uh, have heard, not verified, that's what I was told, uh, they were in a private uh, hospital and the medical bills came up to about a million dollars, right? I mean, how long can they sustain that? I mean, if you, even if you got life insurance, there would be those uh, limits, right? Yeah. So, but you see, the the, the 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 important thing is the family had to say, right? But uh, had the father put in place an advanced medical directive and if that condition was really terminal and he was unconscious, so he cannot say uh, then it's quite likely that the life support will be taken away from the father. Uh, is it good? I don't know. Um, it really, really depends on the situation. And that's why usually uh, I'll tell clients that if you want to consider AMD, please discuss it with your family. Right? Because you may think I'm doing my family a favour. I don't want to burden them. Uh, especially with uh, uh, huge medical bills. But then you may not know that your family, they want to have that hope that you will turn around. I mean, we've heard stories of miracles happening, right? Yeah. People seemingly no more chance of surviving, but then they turn around, right? So some families, they may want to have that option and sometimes you cannot assume. Uh, so I usually say, discuss that the family. I know, it's, you know in a way you have your quote-unquote right Yep. But you may want to discuss this with your family because it is really a very important decision.
0: Right. In that case, how do we make an AMD? Like, what's the process like? What's the cost like? Yeah, so
1: simply put, right? I mean, a person who wants to make an AMD must be 21 years and above a major. Of course, he must be mentally sound, right? And the uh, important thing about the AMD is that there must be two witnesses signing the AMD form. I think it's AMD form one. There are three forms. Uh, two witnesses, one of them, must be a doctor. So the way to do it is to go to your family doctor and discuss with your family doctor and say, look, I want to do an advanced medical directive. The clinic should have the form. uh, But if you want to be sure, you can always download the form from the internet and bring the form uh, along. Um, And once the doctor has sort of like briefed you, tell you the implications and ascertain that you are mentally sound, uh, then you can sign the AMD. So one of the witnesses would have to be the doctor and then you need a second witness. Uh, it's better to bring your own second witness uh, okay. right? because you can't assume that uh, the clinic's nurses or the clinic uh, administrator would be willing to be your witness, right? So you might want to bring along your second witness. But if your second witness that you bring has got vested interest, uh, meaning to say maybe he, he or she is a beneficiary of your estate, right? Yeah, then uh, it becomes a bit complicated. So it's better to uh, actually bring someone that will not have vested interest.
0: Right, that's a good point. Like, uh, you you know, if, if you didn't mention that maybe people will bring their spouse or their quite children. Quite normally, right. right yeah. They'll
1: bring their spouse, right. But again, quite naturally, your spouse will be a beneficiary of the right. estate. Uh, so it's better to bring someone that has got no vested interest. Uh, yeah, then uh, once that uh, AMD document is signed, uh, you seal that document and you, you send it to the registrar of EMD. Uh, you can find the address on the Ministry of Health uh, website. All
0: right. Okay, thanks, Chris. So let's move on to lasting power of attorney, mm. LPA. So what is an LPA and what considerations should we give when choosing our doni Yeah,
1: so the LPA is a legal document. Right, like the AMD. The AMD is also a legal document. So the LPA is a legal document. I mean, it came from the Mental uh, Capacity Act. The best way to die is we sleep and then wake up, open our eyes, and we see angels lying around. <laughs> That's the best way to die, right? We got the heavens straight. But unfortunately, right. many of us may not go through that route. Many of us uh, may be ill first before we passed away. Um, and if a certain illness causes us to lose our mental capacity such that we cannot make decisions anymore or uh, dementia uh, and we cannot remember things and we cannot make decisions anymore uh, we may need to appoint someone to take care of us not just in terms of our financial matters but also in terms of our personal welfare matters the LPA lasting power attorney the document allows us to do that so basically we can appoint Dhoni or Dhonis um, and these are the people whom we trust to be able to make these important decisions for us when we are unable to do so.
0: Right, so what aspects of my life can a doni make a decision for me, if, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, is it my finances or, or health?
1: Or yeah, so uh, there'll be financial decisions that sometimes you have to make, I mean, like going to the bank and draw out money, uh, and then maybe even, for example, you have got certain insurance forms that you need to sign, uh, maybe even going to LTA you know, to make some decisions with regard to your vehicle, your transport. So these are some of the decisions. right? Um, and for example, in the case of my father-in-law, my father-in-law was a hawker right? and my father-in-law actually owned the store of the, uh, in a market that he operated in and he sold vegetables. Right? But uh, at one point of his life, he was down with cancer and it was so bad that he couldn't make any decisions anymore. Um, but the store belonged to him, right? So somebody must make the decision to sign certain uh, documents, right? Uh, especially uh, when document is to be signed to operate that store, right? So the the doni can do that. So those are more, I would say, financial property matters. But uh, there will be also uh, be things like uh, care preferences. Ah. Okay, and that is why usually we'll say that it'll be good to appoint the doni uh, as the Advanced Care Planning ACP Spokesman, which we're going to talk about, yeah. right? Um, so that there's this coordination because you're unable to talk about your care preferences, um, then the doni can make the decision for you as well. So it's a very important document to do.
0: Right. So what's the process like to nominate a doni?
1: Yeah, so again, uh, you can download the forms there are two forms for LPA. Right, the first one is LPA Form 1. Right, the form 1 is easier. right. Form 1 basically gives general powers to your donors not very specific. Uh, that you can fill up the form uh, yourself and after you fill up the form, you need to have a, a certificate issuer which can either be a lawyer or a doctor, usually in the form of a psychiatrist, right. to be able to issue that certificate. La. Then of course you send that completed uh, form uh, to the office of the public guardian right so but if you're going to do lPA form two which gives more specific power to your donors then uh, you will need to go to a lawyer to do it
0: right so let's move on to just now you mentioned uh, advanced care planning ACP hmm. so the first two that we were talking about LPA and AMD uh, they are legally binding right Could you explain what ACP is and also, um, you know, if it's not legally binding Mm. uh, and uh, let's say I have an AMD and LPA already, Mm. uh, should I still do an ACP? Why should I still do an ACP? Yeah. So while
1: the AMD and LPA, they are legal documents, ACP is not a legal document. ACP is a process. Right. It's an advanced care planning process for someone while he is still mentally sound, still healthy, to be, to be able to communicate his values with regard to his uh, healthcare preferences to someone whom he or she trusts. Right. And this person that uh, he or she trusts is called the ACP, uh, ACP spokesperson. Right. And the ACP spokesperson will be able to speak out for uh, this person in the event when he is ill, and unable to share or uh, discuss their care preferences with the medical team, right? So uh, it doesn't mean that this person needs to be terminally ill, unlike the AMD, right? The AMD yeah. only kicks in when a person is terminally ill. But a patient may not be terminally ill, but just unable to talk about the kind of care that uh, he wants, whether he wants all those invasive uh, uh, like tubes going through him and all that, so, um, if you have done your ACP, you have someone to speak on behalf of you.
0: So, for example, let's say uh, I would prefer palliative care, for example. Mm. So, mm. that's where uh, ACP is the one that I, I go to la, in, in, in terms of... Uh, that's right. So, it's, like I
1: said, it's not a legal document. right? So, uh, yeah, you said it right because some... Okay, again, in the case, in the case of my father-in-law, uh, when my father-in-law was down with uh, lung cancer, uh, at home, we can make um, a choice for him to say, no, we're going to bring him back. We're going to start palliative care um, back at home. Uh, and if he's to pass away, he, we know that he prefers to pass away at home rather than at the hospital. So these are things that uh, through the ACP process and whatever you discuss this with your ACP spokesperson, is actually documented in an ACP workbook. Now, it's a workbook. Uh, you can find this workbook on the internet. So it's not a document, right? The workbook basically guides the conversation for you to talk about your values, what is more important for you. And then finally, uh, uh, dovetailing down to the kind of care that you want uh, when you are sick.
0: Right, so as compared to AMD and LPA, I think this process will be Uh, we need a a bit more work so as you mentioned for AMD you know you you have a doctor you have a a nurse and and LPA you can actually do it online now yeah
1: yeah. uh, uh, LPA I think if I remember correctly I think you can only do it uh, online LPA yeah Uh, and it's interesting you say that ACP needs a bit more work right and it's true okay because um, AMD and LPA uh, whilst they are legal document I feel that uh, it's easier to do, right? So you go to a lawyer and you get it done. You go to a doctor and you get it done. Yeah,
0: it's quite rigid. You know, there's not many... Uh, uh, yeah,
1: I mean, it's, it's, everything is defined there, yeah. right? But the ACP, the hardest part about the ACP, who's going to initiate it? When are you going to initiate it? When are you going to do this? Most people won't think about this until they are sick, right? But actually, you should really do it when you are well.
0: right?
1: But who will initiate it? Would you, Isaac, go to your... Parents now and say, Pa, ah, Ma, let's do an ACP. Hopefully our listeners after this podcast. <laughs> uh, share the podcast with them and say, uh, <laughs> yeah. we need to start this process. Right? But it's a, it's a very awkward thing, right? To tell your parents or your loved ones, say, let's talk about ACP. And then to talk to your loved ones about actually what matters to you most. Uh,
0: yeah, it's not the easiest topic to, to not bring easy,
1: up, Not easy. Right? So that whole conversation becomes sometimes can be uh, awkward. Uh, but I'll tell you personally, I've done ACP for my father. Uh, and it was very helpful because when my father uh, I mean my father had multiple heart attacks before and my father told us very clearly that like, if he has got one more heart attack you know he doesn't want treatment and we did it in the hospital there was an ACP facilitator facilitating the conversation so when my father had that final heart attack before he passed away um, the siblings knew my siblings knew that, that was what that was. Right. imagine that process was not put in place imagine if I had one of my siblings really wanting
0: to like no save that you know uh, it cause quite quite a bit of dispute la, in the, within the family
1: yeah and then I can say no I have spoken to pa before and I know he doesn't want but nothing is documented I'm not the appointed spokesperson uh, after my father passed away I think there will be a lot of uh, unhappiness la. but because we have done it the whole family, even before my father had a heart attack, everyone knew that that was what dad wanted. And so when dad passed away, no fights at all, we knew exactly that was what he wanted and uh, the decision was quite clear, right? So I think um, the ACP is actually, although difficult, although not legal, it is a very important conversation to have. In fact, I think the biggest benefit of the ACP is that conversation you get to know your parents, you get to know your loved ones a lot better just simply through the conversation
0: right and also um when you look at a when the when you look at a workbook uh, on aCP it can be quite daunting in terms of the questions mm. but uh, from my understanding, there's a facilitator right during the process of taking yeah, ACP. yeah. I
1: mean, if a person is hospitalized already, there are ACP facilitators in the hospital. just ask for it. Uh, but if you are well and you want to find an ACP uh, facilitator, there are ACP notes that they call it, that you can go and do it. Uh, where to find them. I think the website, if I'm not wrong, is Aic uh, dot SG if I'm not wrong. Right. Uh, and so you just you can go there and find uh, the notes and uh, get somebody to help you facilitate that conversation
0: right so uh touching on the some a point that you brought up just now like when do we do it so let's talk about end of life planning in general mm. uh, your acp amd and lpa uh, at what age mm. do you think we should start uh, doing end of life planning yeah uh
1: i think you should do it if your 21st birthday is yesterday la Right, okay, so, so okay, joke <laughs> aside, but that means that any, because you know, like LPA and uh, AMD, right? You can only do it, it's a legal document, you can only sign it when you are a major 21 years and above. So you can't do it uh, when you are any younger. So as long as you're 21 years above, you can do your LPA, you can do your AMD, you should, because we never know when we are mentally incapacitated. I mean, we assume that. You know, life is like that when we are young, we play, we study, then we get married, then we work, then we retire, then we die at 85. So about 84, we do lah. (laughs) But unfortunately, life is not so certain. The last three years of the pandemic has taught us that life is not certain. So you should do it uh, as soon as you can. But practically speaking, Isaac, practically speaking, I know people only do it when they are frail. They are not when do they uh when they
0: gets them start thinking about this kind of stuff and usually it's almost or uh, if if not too late already like
1: yeah so don't uh, right don't because it becomes complicated especially if you're free and well you know then the doctor has to ascertain that you really know what you're doing you know so i will say that do it as soon as uh, you can and if you're listening to this and you are more senior like you are in your 40s well, I better be careful. Huh? When I say 40s, people listen to this uh, and they say, you say i senior, they get very angry with me. Yeah, so, but okay, I'm 53, right? So I think we are at that age group whereby we should start thinking about these things. Uh, it's not just for ourselves. It's really for the people. Uh, it's to give clarity for the people who we love.
0: Right, so once I've done all these, um, how frequent should I review my end-of-life planning or in what circumstance should I review I think it's, when
1: your thoughts change, oh, right. so if you, okay, I, I, I mean, there are many reasons why people can change their mind. right? right? Maybe because of advanced medical technology, you're now more convinced that actually, uh, I can, there is a possible cure. right? So you say, okay, maybe I don't want AMD anymore. Or maybe your loved ones convince you. Or maybe for some people, they have a religion that say, no, you can't do this. Okay, I, I'm just saying. Uh, I'm not sure, right? So you may have to. You may change your mind. Uh, LPA, you may have to change it if you decide to change your doni, um, yeah, or your care preferences has changed. So it, when circumstances change, uh, then you review it. Of course. Uh, for our clients who work with Providence, uh, these are the questions that, you know, regular progress meeting uh, we will likely go through with our clients uh, to ask whether things have changed in life, right? And if uh, things have changed in life, uh, maybe they have to make changes. I'll give you a very specific example, right? So I have a client whom they have definitely done their ACP, but uh, when they did the LPA, they realized that the Dhoni and the ACP spokesperson, they are different. Right, and now they prefer the doni to be the ACP spokesperson, so then they may have to go and sort of like redo the ACP process. Okay, and uh, so there's
0: more aligned and more in sync with each other. La.
1: that's right. I mean, it, it don't have to. It's just that if the ACP spokesperson and the doni is different, then what happens if the doni and the ACP spokesperson what well, they have a different idea, right? Or uh, I have a client who uh, is now doing a trust, and every time when we talk about trust. Uh, we talk about the trust being triggered when a person passed away. But it may not always be the case, right? A a, a trust can be triggered when a person loses mental incapacity. He can't manage his money anymore. And then the trustee will take over. And so you might want to align your LPA with your trust. So things like that, you know, then you may have to make changes.
0: So what other intangible benefits, let's say, um, are there for doing end-of-life planning? I mean, uh so for example like not tarnishing your legacy with your children. I think uh, I have a few or rather I have a few friends that say they have um a family member who, who is, you know, mentally not not well anymore. Um mm. uh, and you know, the if let's say the past few years has been really, really bad for them and then, you know, their perception um of their parents changed because of that. Yeah.
1: yeah that's a very tough question and I do not know how best to answer this but I'll just say this I mean a lot of people think that legacy planning is like estate planning you know? I write a will I distribute but it's not legacy planning legacy planning takes your whole life uh, you build your legacy and your parents leave behind the legacy for you throughout the life that they live not the last one year not the last two years it cannot be yeah right Remember all the good things that our let's say our parents, right, they have done for us since they were young and they left a legacy. Not just in terms of the financial legacy, but values. All these are legacy, right? So I'm not sure whether I can say, you know, just because I didn't do my LPA, ACP, and then my family witnessed me dying in a very bad way, it tarnishes my legacy. Um can't really say that. Okay, but I think the biggest benefit of doing all this end-of-life planning is that we go in a way whereby we think is most dignified. Yeah, Because I've unfortunately witnessed many deaths in my family, uh, and especially when they are very ill, it's not nice at all to watch. Right? I have to help the caregiver change the diaper for my father-in-law. I'm not sure really, really that was what he wanted. Right? and he's just there out in the open and everybody can see the changing, taking place. Right? So one of the benefits of all this end-of-life planning is the dignity that I want for myself. Right? And the second biggest benefit as a beneficiary of end-of-life planning is that family harmony. At the wake, at the funeral, we come together as a family. We, of course, we grieve, but we celebrate the life of the people we love, not fight. I've seen families fighting, you know, at a wake, and it's it's not just an ugly sight for the public to watch. But I cannot imagine the pain of the parents in the cascade witnessing this. If right. he can witness this,
0: yeah, that is the last thing that they really want to see,
1: Yeah, so it's not nice, right? But it's so nice as a family to come together at the funeral. Yeah, we talk about parents, about loved ones. Yes, we grieve, we tear, but that's all part of process of healing. But most importantly, the the siblings during the week, they feel even closer to each other. No doubt that the parents are no longer around. They come together and say, "No, we will continue this gathering together, even though our parents are not around." And that can only happen if. There is harmony. And end-of-life planning, one of the biggest benefits is that because everyone is very clear. I know we're going to talk about estate planning, but that's also one of the biggest benefits of estate planning. I always tell clients that if you have done your estate planning, maybe you should even share with your family how you are distributing. So people know exactly why the parents distribute that way. And there is Harmony. Plenty of benefits. I mean, I can go on talking non-stop yeah. about end-of-life planning, but I really encourage you, if you're a listener, do consider doing it. Not when you are older, not when you are sick. Do it whenever you can. Take uh, step by step. Do the easy thing first, right? Uh, I, I, I think like things like LPA is not difficult to do. AMD is not difficult to do.
0: Right. Okay, so thank you so much Chris Like for, for your insights and in-depth knowledge and sharing our in-depth knowledge with, with all our listeners, especially on this topic that, um, to be honest is not the most popular one in, mm. in, in finance, but mm. it's something that is uh, very important. So uh, that's all for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed our episode on end-of-life planning. If you like this episode, follow our podcast and follow us on social media for similar contents. As always, thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. All analysis, views or opinions from interviews, recommendations and other information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein are provided for general information purposes only. Information expressed does not take into account any specific situation, particular needs or objectives and should not be construed as specific advice or a recommendation. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal or tax professional before taking any action. Provident Limited does not accept any liability for any loss whatsoever arising from any of use of the information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein. All contents and information contained herein may not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part by any means without prior written consent of Provident Limited.